Welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio, your home for discussion and analysis of Cincinnati Reds baseball all year long. Now here's your host, Chad Dotson. Welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio, and I'm your host this week, Bill Lack, and I'm pleased to have joining us once again, Reds broadcaster and a good friend of Red Leg Nation, Chris Welsh. Chris, how are you doing this evening? Bill, doing great. It's always great to talk to you. Chris, as I, as I said earlier, and this is take two for, for our fans out there, um, I think we're into our second decade here. We did our first one of these in 2006. That's a long time ago. Uh, you know, I'm in my 25th year now as a res broadcaster, so, uh, you know, 2006 doesn't seem that long ago compared to 1993, but, uh, yeah, time flies, uh, especially when you get to talk baseball. And you've seen some really good baseball in those years and some really bad baseball. Well, you know, but baseball is baseball. Uh, and, you know, I mean, good teams and bad teams, probably yeah, the way that's, you that's what I mean, describe yeah. it. Yeah. And, 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 you know, when we've seen some bad baseball played by good teams and bad baseball played by bad teams. But uh, it's always more fun when the Reds win, when they contend, when you go into the season hoping that they're going to be a good team, uh, maybe right up there at the top. There's no guarantee on any given year that, Anybody's going to do what they expect to be done. But, um, you know, it, it, it's always better when and it always feels like there's more energy around when the team is looking for just a couple of pieces in spring training to complete the puzzle. And there it is. Finished work April 1st. And, uh, you know, this year and last year, you know, they're in a rebuilding process. So it requires a little patience. Yep. Uh, Chris, do – Contrast uh, spring training in Arizona and Florida for us. Well, aside from the weather, obviously, the, you know, the Arizona's dry. Uh, the weather is pretty much the same. I, I, the, the thing for, for, from a baseball perspective, it's all about the distance where a team has to travel to get to where they've got to play. And in Arizona, the teams are very close to each other. And so you'll, you'll, you'll take batting practice in your own facility on the backfields, you'll get to split up and take, you know, maybe two or three fields of batting practice. Everybody gets plenty of swings. You hop on a bus 15 or 20 minutes later, you're there where you're going to need to be. Maybe you've got to go 45 minutes at the most, but that's really about it. Uh, in Florida, on the other hand, um, if you're in Sarasota where the Reds were for a long time, um, you're not close to anybody except maybe the Pittsburgh Pirates. You're about 20 minutes away from Pirate City and, and their facility there, uh, the old McKechnie Field. And it, um, but anywhere else, you're looking at an hour and a half, two hours, maybe even more. Uh, so if you want to play the Red Sox, you're looking at two hours each way. That requires a team to leave much earlier in the morning. You dress at their ballpark, and then you, you play the game. You come back in, you take a shower, and then you get back on the bus because you're not going to get on the bus in a, in a wet, dirty uniform and sit for two hours. So uh, it, you dedicate a whole day. Uh, when you're playing in Arizona, even when you play an away game, you can come back to your home complex and get some extra work in. That doesn't happen in Florida. So I think from a baseball perspective, Arizona suits the, the need better for, for uh, spring training. Now, if you're a fan and you're a broadcaster and you don't have to go to every game and you're not living and dying by every pitch and trying to make the team, then you know, Florida has a lot to offer. I mean, I love the beaches, I love the water, uh, you know, uh, and, and I especially love the Sarasota area. But I think that uh, that's the way you have to size them up when you compare Arizona and Florida. You, you did spring training in both as a player, didn't you? Yes, I did. As a matter of fact, I, I thought I, I preferred Florida because as a pitcher, 
there's more humidity in the air, and my breaking stuff worked. When I got out to Arizona, it's very difficult to, dis- to decipher and evaluate pitching in Arizona because the ball flies, the very thin air, and because of the thin air, you don't get much break on your breaking pitches. So um, it, it can be deceiving. Uh, it, it, a, a guy who is, uh, relies on you know, more off-speed stuff and more breaking stuff, maybe has a curveball instead of a slider, uh, he would be very hard-pressed to pitch consistently well in Arizona um, as compared to in Florida. So, uh, you know, I don't know how much they take that in consideration, but from a pitching standpoint, uh, I can tell you that's true. Okay. Um, let's, let's talk about a couple things that happened before spring training started and, and before we move into the, the, the spring training in this year. Once again, uh, there was, a, there was a, a controversy of Marty in his comments about Joey or his contract or, or whatever. As a fan, I mean, it almost seems like Marty has a vendetta against Joey Votto. And, and well, I, I don't understand yeah. it. I, I don't. I, I don't know. I don't think it's a vendetta against Joey Votto. I, I, I think that Marty um, shares the view of a lot of people that um, you know, eighteen, twenty, twenty-five million dollars for a player to play Major League Baseball uh, is, is is a head-scratching number, and you're wondering if it's ever going to stop. And um, maybe you want to take it out on somebody, and he happens to be on your team. And your team's not spending money in completing a bullpen or getting an extra outfielder or getting an extra catcher on the free agent market or maybe picking up a pitcher because they don't have any money left. And, and I think that, so who do you blame? Well, you know, you either blame the management, the ownership for not spending more money, or you, you, you maybe blame the guy who's making the most on the team. And I think that's the, that's the problem. And I think that you can make this argument in any team that doesn't win the championship that say, hey, you know, we won or we, we, you know, we lost, uh, you know, 90 games with this guy on the roster. We could have lost 90 games without him on the roster and saved the next $20 million. Now, that's not just for Joey Votto. That goes for a lot of teams that are in the same predicament. So I don't think Marty has anything personal against Joey Votto. Uh, I think they're very cordial to each other. They respect each other as, 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 as professionals in their business and two of the best ones that you'll find. And uh, I think uh, that was just one of those moments where I think it just came out the wrong way for Marty. Do you, do you think Joey's on a Hall of Fame trajectory at this point? Uh, boy, you know, I, I'm probably the worst guy to ask about the Hall of Fame, to be honest with you. I don't know how these voters are going to vote. Um, I, I would want to see him as more of a complete player. I really would. Uh, you know, I know that there are guys that, you know, Hall of Famers can get in there as strictly as the DH, but I want to see Joey play a little better defense. I want to see him be able to run the bases more. Um, and in, in doing that, I think he becomes an all-around better player and a better leader. And I think that, you know, when Barry Larkin won the uh, uh, Most Valuable Player Award, uh, he was a guy that they, they, I think, gave him a lot of credit for being the team leader. And I think that that would help uh, Votto uh, in the long run being the same way. Um, you know, I say Larkin won the MVP. Of course, he also got the Hall of Fame. But, uh, I mean, Votto, yeah, I mean, his, his offensive numbers are certainly on that trajectory. Yeah. Uh, but for me, there's more to it than just what the guy does in the batter's box. Okay. Um, and, and there's no doubt in the last couple of years, Joey's defense is – I never thought he was a, Hall of Fame, a gold glover even when he won the gold glove. 
And there's no doubt the last couple of years his defense has, has been sorely lacking. And, and he's even addressed that in, in the media this, so in spring training. So hopefully that will improve. Well, um, I don't know. How do, you improve, how do you improve that, though, Bill, really? You know, here, here's the way. I mean, it's been proven over and over again why there is genius, um, meaning why some guys do things so much better than everybody else. And Votto hits better than just about everybody else. I mean, he's right up there at the, at the top of the top in the echelon of that. Uh, and the reason is because that's what he did as a kid. He swung the bat in his basement, uh, you know, 200 to 500 times a night growing up. Every night, I mean, he grooved his swing. He got his wrists and arms strong. Um, he's so dedicated to his craft. I mean, he studies it uh, constantly. And, um, you know, when you're growing up in Canada, you know, you don't have the opportunity to take ground balls every day like they do down in San Pedro de Macaris. Um, I mean, they're playing baseball down there. They're not, uh, you know, on offense and on defense. But when you're up in Canada, you're not doing that. So I think yeah, that's how he learned to hit. Um, so now you're saying, okay, now we've got to improve on the defense. You can improve that a little bit. But basically, what you've got with Votto is a guy that has spent most of his career learning how to hit and not necessarily learning how to be defense. Remember when the Red signed him, he was a catcher. Uh, and then he played a little outfield, played a little tribal third base, I think, in the minor leagues. Uh, I think that he can improve to be a decent first baseman. Um, but I think it, it, it starts with you know, concentration on the defensive part of the game, not necessarily the mechanics of, of fielding ground balls and playing first base. Okay. I mean, I, I'm never looking for him to be Keith Hernandez, but, I, you know, I'd like to see him be better than he's been the last couple of years. Well, and again, I think that's more of a – I mean, it's it's not because he's physically unable to do it. He's got great hand-eye coordination, obviously, right? So, for me, uh, the first part of being a good defender is making sure that your head is in the game all the time right. and that you're asking yourself constantly, what am I going to do if the ball is hit to me? What if it's hit hard? What if it's hit slow? What if it's hit to my right or my left? What's the count? How many guys are on base? Where are, we, where are we in the game? Those guys, like you just mentioned, Keith Hernandez, he had that calculating in his head all the time. That's why that he was able to come up with some of these magnificent plays. And I think that uh, those players that don't excel on the defensive side find themselves drifting one way or another. Maybe they're thinking about their bats. Uh, and I think that's one reason why they're not as good as defenders as other guys. Okay. The uh, Brandon Phillips trade. How big a relief do you think that was for the Reds front office? I don't know. Do you, do you think they were relieved shelling out $13 million? Um, you know, <laughs> I mean, what, really, what's the difference between, between trading for Brandon Phillips and, and, and letting him be released and paying him his full salary? I mean, they got some players back. I'm not sure how good those players are going to be from Atlanta. Hopefully they're going to turn out to be good. Certainly wasn't ideal at all. Um, it, you know, it's a relief for Brian Price. That I can tell you because I was on the caravan with Brian and it was before the trade and we talked about it and he, you know, made no bones about it, whether it was personal or off the record or not. He just say, hey, you know, this is going to be really sticky here uh, because we've, we've talked to Brandon. We know that he's not going to get as much playing time. We've got these young kids we're trying to develop. Uh, but at the same time, if you're Brian Price, you know, you, you, you've got the guy that you know what he can do playing second base. And he's got a, Brian Price has got a one-year contract. So somehow there has to be some cooperation now between Brian Price and his, his idea of developing talent and getting another contract or an extension versus trying to win games. Because if he's trying to win games, he's going to play Brandon Phillips all the time. So the Reds did do him a favor by getting Phillips out of there. But 
I can't say that uh, trading a guy away and paying $13 million of his $14 million salary uh, is exactly a relief. Uh, I think it's more of a, a desperation. Well, I, I think it was clearing a position, and, I, and also to me, and I may be reading this completely wrong, it makes me wonder if the Reds were really concerned about if he wasn't playing enough, whether he'd become a distraction. Well, yeah, but I mean, you got the hammer at that point, right? Um, if you're the, I don't think that Brandon Phillips was was going to be the kind of guy that, that sits and pouts. Uh, I, I've always respected Brandon. I think he's a is a real pro. He plays with enthusiasm. He loves the game of baseball. Um, you know, I, I know that there was some tit-tat back and forth, you know, about, you know, who said what about the trades right. and this and that. And I don't try to get involved in any of that stuff, Bill. But um, I, I can tell you that the whole thing with Brandon, uh, in my mind, wasn't handled as well as it should have been. And if you were afraid that you weren't going to be able to trade Brandon Phillips, once he reached 10-5 and five status, then you've got a calendar in front of you. You can count the days, and you know when he's going to reach his 10th year in the major leagues and five in a row with your ball club. So on that date, you better either have him traded so he, he can't deny the trade, or you better work out something within the parameters to make that trade happen. So I think the whole blame really belongs to the front office that was in place at the time when Brandon Phillips hit the 10-5 and five number. Uh, because beyond that, you know, he had that 10 5 hammer, and sure. he used it. You know, and, uh, and, and so it's, you know, it's all water over the dam now, but uh, it, it's one of those things that I wish had never happened because it, it was it, it takes away a little bit from a brilliant career for Brandon Phillips. Yeah, he, a, a definite Reds Hall of Famer. I mean, a, a no, no doubt, doubt first no, ballot. No doubt about it. Yeah. Were, were you, and before we get off of Brandon, I'm just going to throw this out. Were you surprised when he turned down the trade to, to Washington? No, I wasn't because, you know, here's a guy who's, uh, what is he, 36 uh, in his last year of a deal. And what normally happens when a guy has a 10 and 5 rights, and this is why the Players Association negotiated for this clause so hard years and years ago, is that when you've got a guy at that stature, he should be able to tell you whether he's going to be traded or not. So what normally happens is that you trade a guy like that and the receiving club gives you a bonus or they give you an extension. And that should all have been worked out prior to the trade being even mentioned. So to negotiate that part of it in the newspaper, uh, I think, will backfired. And, uh, you know, hopefully that mistake won't, be, won't happen again. Okay. Well, let's move into spring training. Uh, and and the, the biggest news of spring training, in my, you know, was, was the injury to was Homer Bailey's injury and the bone spur thing. Did, did that surprise you at all? Yeah, of course it did. I mean, uh, I thought that Homer was going to pitch last year. I really thought that he was capable and that the Reds were expecting him to, to pitch last year. I know that the front office expected him to pitch, the management, the staff expected him to pitch. And, uh, you know, they came out at the end of the year saying, well, you know, the why push him right now? And, and there's some validity to that uh, uh, reference as well. But, um, yeah, I had no idea that, that, that he was going to come up with bone chips. I mean, you know, it's it's uh, just an unfortunate uh, circumstance. Yeah, it, they said four to six weeks where he could start throwing, which I guess would have been right about. The, it will be right about the end of spring training. Is June first reasonable timeline? Do you think? I don't. I, I, I can't tell you that. I mean, <laughs> hey, you know what? Now, nowadays, you 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 just don't know. 
Um, I think you got guys going under the knife now that don't need to go under the knife. I'm not talking about overbearing now, but I think that because MRIs and you have more um, scans and ability to diagnose injuries, you've got guys, you know, being uh, uh, babied more than ever before. You've got preventative medicine more than ever before. You've got guys taking longer to come back uh, than ever before. So, whereas you, maybe you should just pitch through it. Uh, because you didn't know any better. And maybe that wasn't a good thing, but that's what used to happen. So I can't tell you whether Homer's going to be back June 1st or, or August 1st. But mm-hmm. hopefully, for the sake of the ball club, he's back sooner than later because, you know, the way this pitching staff is looking, you know, you, you need Homer Bailey more and more every day. Yeah, yeah. You, you use the word babied, and, and we talk, you hear, you know, older, older people like me and, you know, here, you know, well, Jim Palmer pitched 315 innings in a year in 1970, whatever. But I look at now; it's so much of a bigger investment that they're that they're looking at, especially with pitching. That I think, you know, baby or or coddle or or you know, over anal- analytical on, on on diagnosis or whatever. But I see it as 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 protecting an investment. So you're telling me that there's, there was more investment in Homer Bailey than there is in Jim Palmer? In terms of money, yeah. Well, I mean, in terms of money, but everything is relative here, Bill. Uh, I mean, in terms of, say, value to the ball club. Oh, no, uh, but what I'm saying probably, is... That's probably the perspective that you put it in, because you can't, you know, you, you, you can't compare the average uh, value of a house uh, today as to what it was back in Palmer's day. And I think the point, to the, ball, the point I'm making is that to the value to the ball club, those are identical things. Um, but no one has ever shown that um, pitch counts, innings limits, or any of the other things that these clubs are, are doing nowadays have any uh, success in warding off injuries. Look at the look at the look at the, uh, the injury to Reyes, the, the young pitcher. Uh, is it Jose Reyes uh, in, in St. Louis um, who, who went down with an injury, Tommy John surgery? Yeah. He was going to be one of the aces of their staff. Good-looking young pitcher, nice, easy motion, comes out of his hand throwing 98 miles an hour. I mean, this kid is as good as it gets. And here he comes up with a blown ACL or UCL. Uh, Tommy John surgery, he's going to miss the whole year. Well, there's nothing that the, that the Cardinals could have done from the time that they signed him as a teenager until the time that he had this Tommy John surgery to handle him with more kid gloves. They made sure he didn't throw too many pitches. They made sure he didn't throw too many innings. They made sure he didn't have back-to-back outings and this and that. And they made sure he was strong and he hit the weights and did all the things in the meantime. And here he blows his elbow out. So you'll never convince me until you have some solid evidence that controlling somebody's innings is actually going to make a difference when it comes to Tommy John surgery, especially elbow injuries. Um, that... Because when when you have a guy like Robin Roberts, you bring up Jim Palmer. That he pitched 315 innings one year. That's great. Robin Roberts pitched 300 innings a year, six years in a row. So um, it, it, it's nothing about the innings now. It, it's 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 about a lot of other things altogether. It's not just one issue, but there's a lot of things involved in it. And uh, I kind of bristle when when people say, "Well, you know, we, we got to take care of him because it's our investment." Well. You know, he's no more valuable to your team than, you know, an ace of the staff of a guy that lived 50 years ago. Um, so at least that's the way I look at it. You take the money out of it and you put the baseball back in it. Yeah, but it's hard to take the money out of it. <laughs> well, um, you know, 
it is, I guess, you know. <laughs> we all wish that we were, you know, uh, of the age we're making that kind of money right now. But, uh, I mean, bottom line for a baseball fan, and I guess now it's all involved to money, bottom line is whether you win or lose, right? Oh, yeah. And it's not whether I, 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 I have a bigger payroll than yours, or I don't say, well, the Cubs are good because they've got a big payroll, or the Yankees are going to buy their way to the World Series. Yeah, but you still want your team to win. And that's where you have to make good decisions uh, all the time. And um, it's, it's tougher, obviously, on the small teams. But uh, uh, I think you've got to put it back in baseball terms and not money terms. I, I, I agree with you, but uh, you and I both know that a lot of decisions are made based on money. They sure are. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. And, uh, you know, they, they probably always were. But I, I don't think that. Again, you know, coddling a, a young pitcher has not proven oh, I, to keep the guy from injury. I, and, and I think that maybe until they figure out why these kids are being injured, then it's costing the owners and, and, and the ball club so much money. Because now not only do you have to pay a guy like Homer Bailey who's on the DL, but you've got to pay somebody else to take his place. Right. So meanwhile, that guy's putting in some arbitration clock time. So he's going to hit it sooner than later, uh, and it's going to cost your ball club money. So the trickle-down effect is enormous when it comes to that. Before we get off of Homer, does it mean anything that he got a second opinion on his elbow and had the surgery done by somebody other than Kremchik? Well, I don't know. Uh, you know, it, it seems peculiar. Uh, that's one thing that the players, uh, I think the CBA allows, that you're allowed to go out and get other opinions. And, and why not? I mean, you know, you're, you're talking about your livelihood. Yep. So, you know, um, if, if um, you know, you're going to have a big, uh, big job done or surgery, just, you know, before you go to have surgery, you know, sometimes a lot of people go get second opinion. Oh, so yeah. I, I don't blame Homer at all. No. Let's move into maybe uh, it might be the feel-good story of the spring, and that's Bronson Arroyo. Is, is this a, a, a just a good story, or is it going to be more? Do you think? Well, it, it's I don't know how much more it can be than a good story. It's a, it's a really good story. I talked to Bronson today, actually on the phone, and uh, he told me that he had pitched an inning in a, like a uh, inner inner squad game. Um, and he threw 17 pitches, and he felt good, and he hopes his arm doesn't blow up tomorrow, and, you know, his elbow stayed together, and he was happy about that, and he thinks that, you know, if he can get up to three or four innings uh, without um, – and, and still be able to play catch the next day and then play long toss on the second day, then he will feel like he's got a lot of confidence in his arm. Um, so it, it, it's a really good story, and the interesting thing is that the Reds – you know, not only is it, is it a story about Bronson Royal, but it's an actual story for the Reds because they are scraping the bottom of the bucket here trying to find some pitchers, and Royal just might be a guy that they grab. I, I can't remember in my however many years I've been a Reds fan where a guy was as universally respected and liked by almost everybody that talks about him as, as I've ever heard about Bronson Royal. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I mean, you know, he, you, you put him in the category of Sean Casey. Yeah. Uh, in that in in that respect, and those guys come along very very rarely. Uh, he's a straight up guy. Uh, he always played hard. He was a gamer. His player is play. You know, his players, teammates love him. Uh, he will give you everything he's got, uh, and he and he. He just knows how to take the good with the bad, and and uh, and, and vice versa. So 
you know, I've, I've always liked uh, uh, Bronson Roy from the first day I met him, and uh, uh, I'm, I'm really happy to see that he's, he's given it one more shot. If it came down to the end of the spring and, and he didn't make this team, do you think he would he go down to Louisville and, and, and wait and see if they needed him? I think that really depends on how his arm feels, to be honest with you. And I haven't talked to him about that. And I, that's probably something I'll ask him before the end of the spring. But uh, I think a lot of it, I mean, if his arm feels really good, and, you know, pitchers are in tune with themselves, and, and Roy, Arroyo especially. But, I mean, if his arm feels good, I would, it wouldn't surprise me one bit. And if the Reds didn't want to ha- make a space for him down there to pitch, you know, he'd probably go somewhere else. I mean, he's got it in his blood. He's yeah. got plenty of money saved. He doesn't need to go out and get a job. So, you know, why not? If he feels like he wants to do it, he's probably the kind of guy to want to do it just for the fun of it. Everything you read about him, he, he seems to almost have that coach stamp on him. You know, that if he wanted to, he could he could be a good pitching coach somewhere. You know, the problem with getting guys like that uh, coaching – uh, is the time required of coaches nowadays. Uh, you know, that, that has changed so much. You say the game has changed, the money's changed, the game, and so on. The responsibilities of the coaches, the number of coaches, number one, then the, what they have to do, number two, is, is mind-boggling. These guys get to the ballpark at noon for a 7 o'clock game. Uh, they spend so much time looking over scouting reports and, and, and data and, and, and video and, and breaking it down frame by frame and looking up stuff on the computer and so on. And it, it, they kind of get away from coaching. So, um, you know, the human element is taken out of it a little bit. I agree with you 100% about Arroyo has, has coaching stamped all over it. But when you've got the kind of money that he has sitting in the bank, why do you want to put yourself through that? And that's the question you have to ask. Yep. It would, it would be whether he wanted to stay in the game after he was done playing, I guess. Yeah, it might be easier for him to buy a ball club. Or, or, <laughs> buy, buy, at, least, at least buy a, buy a minor league ball club. There you yeah. go. Um, Michael Lorenz, Lorenzen and Iglesias, by all accounts, are, are both headed to the bullpen. This this bother you at all? Well, the Lorenzen thing doesn't. Uh, I think Michael's... Better. I'm, I'm, I'm just sizing about his pitchers. I think Michael's better as a reliever. Uh, I think his stuff uh, shows up better for me. I think that he can go back to back days. Uh, he's a strong kid. Uh, he is um, really just dedicated to to getting guys out. I mean, I like the fire in him, uh, and I, I'd like to see him be able to come out of the bullpen day after day and and uh, bring it. Um, Iglesias, on the other hand, I, I, I like the guy as a starter. Uh, maybe they're afraid of his elbow or his arm one way or another. I mean, there are some things that go on behind the scenes that I don't know about uh, mm-hmm. medically. And um, so maybe they think the best way to keep him healthy is to limit his number of innings and, and really keep a handle on that. But uh, I love his stuff as a, as a starter. I love his feel for the game. Uh, he, I, I just love watching the guy pitch. What are you hearing? Have you heard anything more on the Disclafani injury? I mean, is it serious or is he? I, I heard the other day. I think that he they said he might go later in the week, the first week. Uh, I have I have no idea. You okay. know, I, again, you know, I I've learned over the years that um, to be thankful that I'm not a beat writer because those are the kind of stories that, that beat writers like a Mark Sheldon or C. C. Trent Rosecrans or Zach Buchanan or one of these other guys they have to stay on every day and. Quite frankly, you know, I, I go by what Jack McKeon uh, used to say. So, so, you know, what? When, when the guy's on the mound, 
we'll, we'll find out if he's ready to pitch or not. I mean, when he's on the mound in a game ready to pitch. So I don't follow the story day by day, ask him how he feels from one day to the next, because I know as a former player, you really don't know what it's like until you get out there and pitch in a real game. So um, until that time, I mean, you know, uh, I'm from the show me uh, part of the town on, on that one. What do you know about this, about Scott Feldman? I don't know a lot about Feldman. I mean, I've watched him pitch. Uh, I, I think that uh, he, he probably didn't think he was such a key sign for the Reds, but right now, I mean, if Piscopani's not around, he might be the number two starter. Who knows? He could yeah. be the opening day starter. Could uh, be. So, um, uh, <laughs> you know, you bring back the days of Jimmy Ames when, when you run when a guy like Feldman out there. But I, I think that, um, uh, you know, right place, right time for Scott Feldman. He thought he may end up being an arm out of the bullpen. I think he's going to be one of the guys in the rotation at least start. And uh, hopefully he'll be able to, to uh, deliver the goods. If the Reds had known that Homer wasn't going to be available until June, you think they would have made the Straley deal? I don't think so. Uh, although I know they want to continue to, to get arms and improve their minor leagues, and you know they, they feel like their, their farm system's in really good shape now. Um, but you know, I think also that you know they looked Australia and, and they look way beyond the numbers, the kind of numbers that probably you look at, and then maybe I look at some. Uh, you know, as far as um, you know how hard the ball is hit off of them, what the spin rate is, all these kind of things that you don't read about much. And I think that they said, well, you know what, he's probably better off somewhere else. We're not so sure he's going to be able to sneak up on the league again this year. Yep. And uh, I don't know whether that's true or not, but, I mean, that's what they felt. So I think, however, had they had they known Bailey was not going to be around, they would have kept Straley because Straley was, you know, under their control for a few more years and it wasn't going to cost them a lot of money. You, do, you, do you think Drew Storen will end up being the closer? Well, remember, they're not going to use be a closer, right? That's I mean, what they're saying now. You, you, you were Brian Price, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's like the next man up kind of a thing. I right. mean, if, if they bring in Lorenzo in the eighth inning and he's got lights out stuff that night, why bring somebody else in in the ninth? Uh, so I think the storm was brought on board to bring some experience to the back end of the bullpen. Uh, and I think that um, you know, hopefully he'll be, again, like like Feldman, hope he can deliver the goods. Yeah, I know you're a big fan of the new GMs, and and, and he, he talked about uh, getting Storen after a down year and giving the Reds an opportunity to sign him by buying low. You know, he, he talked about stocking the Reds bullpen with command and control guys who get ground balls, and he even talked about BABIP. Is this a change in philosophy in the front office, or do you just think it's a change in the way they're communicating with the public? Well, I think it's changed where in both. I think it's both. Uh, I, I think they're embracing more of the uh, the modern analysis that's out there. I mean, you know, I read an article today, an excellent article that you know talked about the next wave of stuff that's coming through, and it's amazing what what baseball teams are trying to quantify nowadays. Uh, it's gone way beyond you know on base percentage, and, and as you said, batting, uh, yeah. you know, batting average on ball and play. The, the, those are those are antiquated stats. You know, by today's standards, but I so I think that there's been a much better embrace by the Reds front office for that and that analytics than ever before. I also think that they're communicating with the public in a different way, which I think both of those are healthy moves. Yeah, uh, they, they were very kind and had a when we had our Red Leg Nation game down there and another one of the blogs, and we we got to meet with uh, had a little Q and A with the with 
some of the assistant GMs. It was it was really a fun time for a couple hours that day. Um, that's that's good. I mean, and, and I think it, you know, I think what they're trying to do is to let people know that that they do have a plan, and it may not be the right plan, and it may not be perfect, but this is the plan, and we're going to let you know what it is. And a lot of that has to do with how they're making the decisions, what goes into making their decisions as far as the, the, what information they stick into the hopper and, uh, and see where it goes. So, you know, I, I, I think that uh, the front office is not complete by any means. Uh, I think that there, there, there needs to be some, some more baseball people in there. I think there needs to be a blend of, of uh, you know, scouts, eyeballs, and mm-hmm. analytics. And I think that right now we're kind of weighed a little bit more heavily to the analytics side than the other way. But I think that Dick Williams will eventually take care of that and, and find out who he wants to hire to bring on board. He recently said, quote, I don't want to talk about rebuilding anymore. You don't get a trophy for being the best rebuilder. You get it for winning. We're entering a phase now, a phase now where, we're done, where we've done some hard legwork. Over the next couple of years, we want to start to build a positive trajectory and start winning again in our division. Is he saying that we can start judging this team based on wins and losses? Well, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I wonder how Brian Price feels about that. I, 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 don't, I think, you know, it's interesting. This team has a, has a, really, a lot of good components. Uh, I mean, individual players. There are some guys on this ball club that I really like, and I, and I like the lineup. But I can't, I can't tell you by looking at that pitching staff that this team's going to win a lot of games this year. Um, they're without any left-handers in the bullpen at all. Uh, except for Tony Singrani, and he's not the, you know, the left-handed only guy that I'm right. talking about, the specialist. Um, he's supposed to be in the mix to the end of the game, you know, be one of these rotational closers. Um, and and I just don't think that they put the team together to win ball games. So if you're going to judge by wins, I, I'm not so sure that this is the year they're going to be able to do that. I think they're still evaluating young players and see where they fit in the major leagues. How concerned? Well, I, I don't think there's any doubt the Reds are very concerned about Devin Mazzarocco in the short and the long term. But, but w- what do you think it's fair to expect from him early in the season? Well, I don't know. He, he, that, that's a heartbreaking situation for me. Um, you know, because the guy is just the kind of kid you pull for. He's a good he, he kid. He just really is. Yep. He's a great kid. He's just a blue collar kind of guy. Uh, he's worked his butt off to, to get where he is. Uh, I mean, some of the stories I've heard about Devin when he was a minor leaguer and uh, trying to learn how to be a catcher, you know, in professional baseball, what he did, the extra effort that he put in. I mean, he'd make you a fan eh, when you hear yeah. these kind of things. And, and all the coaches love him. And, uh, you know, but the reality is, is that there's nobody who's had two labrum surgery, hip labrum surgeries, and come back to catch full time in the major league. So if he's going to be the guy to do it, he'll be the first. So hopefully, you know, you keep your fingers crossed. I don't know what they expect out of him. I know that's one big question mark gray area on, on the blackboard in the, in the front offices that, you know, uh, it's the wild card. I don't know where they think he is, and I don't know where he thinks he is until you actually see him in games and playing. Uh, all the batting practice, all the catching in the bullpen, all the catching drills and the stuff you do with the trainers and the, the weight guy, that doesn't mean anything. You got to do it in the game, and that's when you take an evaluation of him. Yeah, we, we need to get him back on here because the the year before or the spring before he exploded in the minor leagues was the first time he came on here on our podcast. So we t- we took full credit for his you know when he was minor league player of the year. 
So well, he, he needs what? to come back on. I mean, you know what? I, I hope that happens to everybody you talk to. There you go. Me. <laughs> and, and, and you know what? I, the other thing I want to say is the Reds have two catchers that are both really good kids. Because Tucker Barnhart is another guy, just a great guy. He really is, and he's a good catcher. And I think he's yep. undervalued and underrated. Yeah, uh, I, I, I love watching Tucker catch. Of course, I'm, I look at the game from the pitcher's perspective. We get the, the center field camera, and uh, it's interesting to see him catch and how small he gets and how, how soft his hands are. They had an article, there was, I don't know if you saw this article. I think it was in the Enquirer a couple of weeks ago where they were talking about him and talking about how he's trying to improve. He worked all, all winter and on film watching guys that frame the pitch pitches really well, and he's trying to really improve that. Well, you know, everybody says they're trying to improve those things because the statistics will tell you that he's not quite there yet. But the bottom line is that he's pretty good already. Yep. And I know that, you know, they're able to, to measure these guys, you know, how many strikes they're able to buy and how many, how many balls the, 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 the catchers turn strikes into and so on. But I can just tell you that the, the pitchers love throwing to him. And, they um, will continue to love throwing to him because the guy is very special behind the plate. And uh, I'm not so sure that they perfected the analytics of, right. you know, uh, framing pitches yet. I, I'm not a big believer that the, what they've done is is, is something I'm going to, you know, believe in. That yeah, whether you mean, whether I, you think I, it I means believe, I believe what I see, and I really like Brett Tucker Barnhart. Well, to me, though, the thing that it says most about him is he's looking for something in his game to improve. And I think that says a lot about him. And I also think that he appreciates being in the major leagues. Oh yeah, and 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 that's one of the biggest things. I mean, some of these guys they get up here and they, you know, they get two years in and then they act like, you know, they've been here for fifteen years. Yeah. And uh, it, it, it just doesn't uh, it doesn't always uh, um, make you feel good about that guy. Tucker Barnhart is the kind of guy that you, I, I have confidence that he'll be he'll be working his behind off every day of his major league career. In the outfield, I mean, it seems like at this point right now, the two starting corner outfield spots are pretty well set. Can Jesse can Jesse Winker make this team out of spring training? I don't think so, to be honest with you. I, I think that they'd rather have Winker progress down in the minor leagues. I mean, he, he's not going to make the team if he doesn't play every day. And, um, you know, until they figure out what they're going to do with Adam Duvall long term, are they going to sign him? Are they going to trade him? Uh, you don't know. If, um, you know, if, if Shebler plays what he showed at the end of last year. And, of course, he's in, and then Wicker can't play center field. So there's no room for him. I mean, and I, I don't think they're going to have a young Jesse Winker sitting on the bench and watching everybody else take batting practice and take real, real live games and then him sitting there doing that. Okay. Any predictions on a, any dark horses that might make this team out of spring training, Chris? Well, you know, not yet. To be honest with you, Too early. I have uh, I, I spent about eight or nine days down there, and then went back to Cincinnati. And and uh, you know, if you ask me more, like around you know March eighteenth uh, or twentieth, I'll have much better idea. But um, I I do like Amir Garrett. I can tell you that. Uh, and um, I, I like his attitude. I don't know if he's ready to pitch in the big leagues. He maybe he may be thrust in there because they don't have anybody else. Uh, I do like uh, what I've seen out of Ricky Davis and Sal Romano, um, you know, uh, but I think that those guys are relievers, uh, and I like their arm and their arm action and, and their aggressiveness. Um, there's a couple of other uh, pitchers that have a chance, but I think for the most part, um, you know, 
know, don't ask me about dark horses right now because there really aren't that many spots open. The, you know, to be honest with you. What, what's, um, your, what's your feeling on, on guys that are starting, you know, that are coming up that, that if they start as young guys starting their careers in the bullpen and then moving into the rotation, which used to happen a lot a more often than it does yeah, now. Yeah, I mean, you know, that, that, I guess that, that, that shows me to be one of those old guys, you know, just on the, on the verge of, uh, uh, you know, yelling at the clouds, I guess, because <laughs> that's what they used to do in the old days, but right. they don't do that anymore. You know, now they, then they, say, they say two things that kind of bug me. Number one, you know, we've groomed him as a starter. We want to keep him as a starter. Okay. And the other thing that bugs me is, is, is when they say, well, you know, once we bring him up, we never want to have to send him down again. Okay. Well, you know, both those things are, are I, I, I roll my eyes when I hear a GM say that kind of stuff because that's why the minor leagues are there to send a guy back down when he can't cut it in the big leagues. And number two is that if you can tell at watching a guy at double A pitch, whether he's going to be a starter in the big leagues or not, I mean, right now, and he, that's fine, but he better be able to move whoever's there out of the way. And, uh, Sometimes guys just just change and they fit better in the bullpen as the to uh, you know as, as a starter and eventually they'll tell you who they are. It's not that difficult. You just have to watch what you're looking at and make sure that you, that you give them an opportunity and they'll tell you whether they're a starter or a reliever. What's the ceiling for wins on this team this year? You think? No, I don't know. You know, I, I guess what the, the Vegas people are saying: seventy-three wins. Other people have said it less than that. Uh, I would say somewhere, uh, you know, in the 70s, probably, um, you know, and, and only because the pitching staff is, is so beat up. I really believe that the team that the Reds have assembled right now could be really surprising if you were to put the, the Cubs pitching staff in Great American Ballpark. This is a good team. Yeah. You've you got some really nice pieces here. Now, I happen to be a big believer in Billy Hamilton. I happen to be a big believer in, in uh, Eugenio Suarez. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying the Suarez is, is as good as the Cubs third baseman or, or, or you know, anything else. But, I mean, I, I can tell you that this is a really interesting team because they've got some really good pieces, but the, the pitching staff is just not there. Okay. Um, and they didn't really make the moves to try to bolster the pitching staff. They're going to try to look within to do that, and that's, that's, that's part of the, of the growing plan and the rebuilding plan. And I think that, that if they're committed to it, that's what they have to do. Well, Chris, you've got, you've got a new venture of your own called BaseballRulesAcademy.com, and why don't you tell us a little bit about this and, and what you're doing with it and your reasons behind it, that kind of thing. Well, you wouldn't have to wait to the end of the program to get to that, Bill. I, <laughs> I, I appreciate that part. <laughs> we'll play this backwards first, right? That's right. That's you know, right. I'll I, I tell you, here I am in my 25th year as a broadcaster, and there have been countless times when some quirky play happened on the field, a rules-related quirky play. And I looked around and at, you know, our statistician and my play-by-play partner, whether it's George Grant or Tom Brenneman, and they're like shrugging their shoulders. I pull out the, the uh, official uh, baseball rules, and I'm thinking, in 90 seconds during this break, I have to come up with an answer to this because people at home think that I know the rules. But I don't know this rule. I don't know what happens on a play when there's a balk, catcher's interference, and obstruction on the base pass all at one time. I don't know what to do. So uh, I, I kind of set on a project to, to come up with an answer to that, how to um, eventually uh, find a way in a hurry how I can look up a rule. So 
I essentially have rewritten the rule book and put it on a website and taped about 200 different episodes and vignettes, clips of instructional pieces to describe these rules. And I've also been able to accumulate uh, dozens and dozens of case studies written by a major league uh, rules consultant who's on contract with about a dozen different teams. Uh, he sends me what he sends the other teams. And uh, we've compiled them all together. And we put it all together. And then we um, end up um, uh, having access on, on the Internet. You can look it up on your phone and so on. And uh, we, we think it's a really a great step uh, for helping people understand the rules, whether you're a fan, a player, a coach, or an umpire. And, and I was I was looking at the site, and you've got some pretty interesting, some some pretty amazing people working with you on this. Well, I do. I, do. I mean, uh, you know, I, it wasn't supposed to be a website to start up, Bill. It was supposed to be a a DVD of rules. But you know, I, I quickly learned that you can't monetize uh, anything like on tape nowadays because people will have rip off software and they rip your stuff off, and next thing you know, it's on YouTube, and you got to be playing you know, internet police all the time. So I decided to make it more of a learning center, make it an online course. So um, uh, that needed, uh, I needed to have people help me do that. And uh, the first people from the baseball standpoint, first guy I asked is, uh, is, is a, who should be a Hall of Fame umpire, Ted Barrett. Uh, he's been around for a long, long time. He's, he's umpired in uh, countless all-star games and World Series, postseasons, and so on. He's been a friend of mine doing these rules reports for Tech Talk the last few years, and he does a great job at them. Uh, Greg Gibson is on these tapes as well. I have a, a gentleman named Rich Morazzi who writes the, uh, a lot of our insider reports. Uh, Morazzi, you may have read his stuff at College Collegiate Baseball Magazine. Uh, he also is on contract with a number of different ball clubs to be their rules consultant. I use a guy named Rick Roeder who wrote a book, uh, the Roeder Jaska Rules of Baseball Interpretation. It's a big Bible-sized book that uh, a lot of umpires carry with them because it's so detailed about certain rules. Um, I have a guy named George Demetrio, who is a, uh, a rules consultant for NCAA uh, and the National Federation of High Schools. So he's out in Colorado. Uh, so, And we use a lot of local people as well. So uh, I've got a lot of people on that end of it. And, of course, I have a whole handful of people who are, who are doing the coding and, and the, uh, the content and the editing, and so on. So it's, it's not just me putting this rule site together. This is a huge website. It's taken me four years to compile. Um, it's really based, it's broken into two parts. There's a free part. The free part, you get online, and there's a search box, and you can search any rule there is. And what will come up will be the official rule, and also, if, if it's covered, there'll be something out of the umpire's interpretation manual on that. Uh, and there'll be some blogs that you can read, and there'll be a form that you can read. And that's it. But if you're a member, you can, you can get your membership, and now you'll have another 200 videos that you can see. You'll have all the insider reports that break these case studies down, uh, uh, you know, as, as deep as you want to get. Uh, and there's, then you can, you can upload videos of your own game or your own uh, youth game that you've seen where an umpire had a funny call. And we'll show that. We'll have a moderator on a forum and so on. And then we'll also have a, a rule of the week. And this is the, the rule of the week is free, too. You can get online and just sign up for that. Uh, we sent one out today that featured um, uh, information about catcher's interference. And I stuck in there a little video of uh, Jackie Robinson stealing home on Yogi Berra and Whitey Ford in 1955 World Series. And a lot of people look at that video and they say, well, 
out or safe. Well, the real ruling should have been catcher's interference, which is known as a catcher's balk. But I know that you know and I know that there is no such thing in the rule book as a catcher's balk. So we explain that in the rule. We have a video about that, and we have an insider's report about, um, you know, how catcher's interference uh, has, has caused different problems in games. So uh, I think it's a great website. I've learned a ton about the rules in the meantime. And I think that if you care at all about the rules, uh, it's, it's worth uh, logging on. You can do it from your phone. It's called uh, BaseballRulesAcademy.com, spelled out just like that, BaseballRulesAcademy.com. And, uh, hey, at the very least, you can sign up for the, uh, the free rule of the week. And, and I, I want to say that Chris was nice enough to let me get into the, the meat of it. And I spent half hour, 45 minutes on there one day. And there is just more information than you can look at in any short amount of time. I mean, there is just tons and tons of information there. There's, well, you didn't mention you, the quizzes. There are quizzes that you can take on the rules. Yeah, you know, the, the whole the part of the idea is that we, we, we want to gamify it as much as we can. Yeah. It's a tough thing to do. But, um, but you, can, you, can, you have your own dashboard. So you, you log on, you become a member, and then you can take a quiz, and you start accumulating points. So for every video you watch and for every insider report you read, every quiz you take, it automatically scores what you've done, where you are in your course, and you start accumulating points. So you're on the leaderboard, and you can have a competition now among you yourself and some people who you may know around town or maybe people in Australia. Uh, the same way goes with teams. I mean, a, a, a coach can sign up his team, and uh, we'll get him 15 logons or so, and those teammates can kind of compete for points. And uh, you know, at some point, we'll we'll make it uh, worthwhile to to be on be on that leaderboard. So uh, it, again, we're in a beta version. We just rolled it out at the beginning of March for the most part, and uh, we hope that uh, you know this time next year we're talking about. Uh, having all sorts of things. We've got a number of things on the table. Uh, we will soon have an, a complete online umpire instructional course um, put on just, just like a, an online course for, uh, uh, that you have uh, for college credit. It's the same type of thing, except heavily dedicated to video and a lot easier to learn. Well, like I said, I thought it was really, really impressive. I enjoyed the time I spent on there, and I'll be going back. Um, well, thank you, Bill. I appreciate that. And that's going to be about wrap it up for today. And again, we want to thank Chris Welsh. It's always nice of him to give us his time and his expertise on the Reds and on baseball. And I always like the time I get to spend with Chris. Uh, Chris, we, we love having you on board. Maybe we can do it again early in the season. Anytime you want, Bill. Uh, I'm a big fan of yours in Red Leg Nation. I thank you for having me on. And uh, give, me a, give me a ring anytime you need me. Okay. Chris, enjoy that warm weather out there in Arizona. And we'll talk to you again soon. <laughs> All right, my man. Take care. Okay. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for listening to Red Leg Nation Radio from RedLegNation.com. Subscribe to Red Leg Nation Radio on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. And join us for discussion of all things Reds at RedLegNation.com. 24 hours a day, seven days a week.